so cool to see that. And I want to tell you, my name is Jarrett Stevens, one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and I, I need uh, moments like that. I need reminders like that, that God changes our lives and that transformation is real. And we got a glimpse of what transformation looks like in public last weekend as we did baptism at the beach. And uh, it was so cool to be out in the water and to see uh, all the folks gather there from our church, to see people who are running and riding by in the bike path just stop and, and trying to understand kind of what's going on. It was so fun. One of the first couples we uh, baptized, that Jeannie and I got to baptize, uh, they're actually pregnant with twins. And so when they came into the water, to me, that counts as four baptisms. And so we had adult and infant baptism right there. And we were in this beautiful, if you were there, beautiful spot of Lake Michigan. In fact, it's the cleanest part of Lake Michigan I've ever been in. It's only 10 by 10 square feet. It's a very <laughs> small space, but we, uh, what a fun thing to celebrate. And we look forward to celebrating that with you. If you have yet to either make that decision to enter into relationship with Jesus or to follow him into the waters of baptism, we can't wait to be a part of that with you, to get that picture of what transformation looks like in public. Last night, Jean and I got the privilege to uh, perform a wedding for a couple uh, from Soul City Church, and they were part of our heart and soul ministry, and they kind of went through the premarital planning to get ready for a lifetime of marriage. In fact, Jean and I have known the bride since she was a tween. I mean, so we've known her for a long time. We've gotten to know uh, the husband now, as of today, uh, over the last year or so. And it was such a, a fun and beautiful time uh, for us to celebrate them. And we were actually, we've known her family from a previous church we worked at over a decade ago. And so we saw a bunch of people from this old church that we hadn't seen for a long time. And what was so fun is throughout the course of the night, people would ask us, you know, kind of how's it going and what's going on with Soul City. And uh, Gina and I just love telling stories about what God's doing. For lack of a better word, we love to brag about what God's doing at this church and to brag about you and all that God's doing uh, through this church. And we would tell them stories, you know, oh, you can't believe, like, it's just so cool to see the people that God has brought. We kept talking about you, the people that God has brought to be part of this church and the way that people are getting involved and they're, and they're volunteering and they're serving and they're leading major things for the city. We told people last night about our back to school bash that we did, where over 400 Soul City volunteers partnered with teachers and parents and families from Brown and Debt Elementary to serve 750 students just two weeks ago. It's unbelievable. I love telling that story. Or to tell stories from even just last weekend at Church at the Beach. It sounds pretty simple, right? Just go in the sand and like throw some people in the water and we're good. It was a lot more that went into it. And if you were there, you saw as you walked down to the waters of baptism, every person who was getting baptized had a poster with their picture and their name on it, and people got to sign it and write prayers on it. Like, that's so thoughtful. It's all done by volunteers. People who just say, I want to be a part of what God is doing. So it was a joy and a privilege for us to keep talking about you. In fact, we probably talked about you so much last night that people stopped talking to us because we love being a part of a church where ordinary, everyday people get to get involved with what God is doing. We think that's, in fact, how it's supposed to be. But I can't, I, I got to be honest with you, the more and more I get to tell people all over you know, the country as people ask and want to know about what God's doing here, the more I get to tell them about what he's doing here and how God is growing our church and how people are getting involved and they're serving and they're volunteering, I, I wonder a couple things in the back of my mind. I have this sort of like creeping thought in the back of my mind, and it's sort of twofold, and it goes like this. The first is, I wonder if God, you know, as he continues to grow our church, will it become easier and easier and easier for people to become spectators at our church? 
I wonder if as we grow, if people will miss out on the thrill and the rush that it is to be a part of something that God's doing. And I don't, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anyone. But I wonder, as we grow, is it possible that people could show up here on a Sunday night and see awesome greeters and parking people and all kinds of people in the cafe and serving in the booth and the band and just assume, I guess they've got everything taken care of. And even at a deeper level, I guess they don't need me. I wonder as we're growing if, if that might be on the horizon for us. I don't think so. I don't think that's the story God's writing. And then I begin to wonder, okay, for all the folks that get involved and, and serve and volunteer around here, and in fact, next week, we're going to get incredibly practical about how you can take a step in being a part of what God is doing here in this city. But I wonder, the more and more people get involved and are serving and volunteering around here, I wonder, do we know the why behind why we serve? Is it because someone got up on stage and asked you? And if so, you're really trusting people. Like, you're really good people if that's the case. And I believe you are good people. There has to be more than just someone saying, we need your help. It has to be deeper than that. And then I wonder, do we know ultimately who it is we serve when we serve around here? Are you just kind of helping Soul City Church out or helping Kurt out or helping us out? Or is there something bigger that God is doing in your life? Do we know why? And do we know who? And how do we create a church where everyone has the opportunity to go all in? To be a part of what God is doing. To be a part of what he's doing here in this city. And I'm not going to pull any punches. Our hope and our desire, my hope and desire for you as an individual and for us as our church is we want to see more and more people get more and more involved with what God's doing out of more and more of who they are for more and more of their life. In other words, we want to see more people serving God for the rest of their life out of the sweetest spot of who they are. And so for us to do that and to move into that, and we're going to take a big step towards that next week. I thought we could take this week to sort of take a step back and go, okay, let's look at the why and the who behind how we serve God. So that's what we're going to dive into. We're going to take a few moments to just sort of kind of zoom that out a little bit. You know, the, the summer, Jeannie and I had the opportunity to do what we do uh, each summer with our kids, and that's to pull away as a family. And we, we love to just kind of get away and, and, you know, find a cabin or a house where we can just completely come down for a week and be in an awesome family vacation. And we've tried doing those kind of trips around Disney World and places like that, and that does not help my soul rest, and so I don't leave their loving God more. And so we have a, we got a, a family in our church. Let us use a place, and so we went up to Michigan, and we just disappeared. And I love our family breaks. I love our family vacation because it's an excuse for us to wear our pajamas as long as humanly possible in the day. Go out to the donut store in pajamas? Yes, we will. Go out to dinner in pajamas? Possibly. Anything could happen on family vacation. And so we love to rest and cuddle and hang out and go to the beach or go to the pool or whatever we need to do to completely unwind. And one of the things we love to do as a family is we love to play games together. So we have our seven-year-old Elijah and our five-year-old Gigi, and we love playing games. And we're thankful that they're kind of getting past that point where we're not just playing memory or hi-ho cheerio. We want them to graduate. We want to disciple them in the ways of Monopoly. And so we're trying to raise them up, if you will. And so, in fact, we actually played a Monopoly game with our seven-year-old and our five-year-old. Those of you who are parents, I don't advise this yet. It was over a four-hour game. 
And in fact, it was split up in teams. It was me and our daughter Gigi, who's five, and Jeannie and her son Elijah, who's seven. And we, Gigi and I were terribly outmatched. Because if you know anything about Jeannie, she doesn't lose at Monopoly. In fact, she'll make you question everything about God and this world. And, like, it, she doesn't lose. And so I knew Gigi and I were in trouble. And then I knew we were really in trouble because 20 minutes into our four-and-a-half-hour game, we had to dismiss Gigi from the table because she was trash-talking so badly against Elijah. And Jeannie, she was just talking just so much trash at them. And under the table, I'm high-fiving her, but... But in front of Gigi, I'm saying, Gigi, you can't do that. And so we had to literally say, Gigi, you got to go t- play with some My Little Ponies. You need to cool your jets for a little bit. Leave the trash talking to dad. And so, <laughs> so we love to play games as a family. And one of the things, actually, this summer that Elijah wanted to do is he said, Dad, he, he'd heard about how there's, you know, a couple times I'll get together with some guys and we'll play poker. And, and he heard about how I'd play poker. And then he'd, you know, wonder why he didn't have an allowance for the next couple weeks after that. And, <laughs> kidding. Kidding. <laughs> I use our grocery money for poker, so I'm kidding about that, too. I'm kidding about that, too. So, so, so he's like, Dad, I want to learn how to play pokers. He calls it pokers, and I'm not correcting him. I think that's actually a better name. Try just going to a pokers game sometime with your friends. It's very fun. So he's like, Dad, I want to learn how to play pokers. I'm like, yep, you got it. Pokers it is. And so I, I'm trying to think, okay, how do I explain this fairly, you know, complex sort of game to a seven-year-old. And so I googled poker for kids and was shocked (laughs) to find out how many websites there are dedicated to teaching children how to gamble. And and so I try to break the rules down for him. I'm like, Lige, we're not going to play with money. That's not how we do it. That's not why we're doing it. But we'll play with pretzels. And so I'm going to give you 20 pretzels, and I'm going to take 20 pretzels. And I just want to teach you. This is m- me. This is Dad. I just want to teach you the fundamentals. Don't, you know, we're not going to go crazy or anything like that. I just, I'm trying to be a, a good dad teaching my son how to play poker. And so I'm, I'm saying, let's go slow. Let's just be conservative. And so what began to happen is like... His mother, he is his mother's son, he learned pokers very quickly. <laughs> and in fact, started winning a couple hands. And I'm like, well, that's sweet. You know, I'm kind of helping him out a little bit. But then, like, he really starts getting it. And then he starts betting bigger, four pretzels. And I'm like, buddy, you can't go four pretzels. You haven't even seen your other cards yet. He's like, four pretzels. I'm like, <laughs> then he starts getting bigger. And then he starts, then he starts going all in, like dead, 10 pretzels. And I'm like, you, son, it doesn't work. You can't, you got to save it for later. You can't just sort of give it all up. He starts going bigger and bigger. Now, this would have been a very important life lesson for him. This would have been a very important lesson for him had he not won every <laughs> round. And I'm not exaggerating. In 30 minutes, he had completely beat his dad at pokers. In fact, we took a picture, asked him who the champ was, and he told you right there, this guy. And look at all those pretzels. <laughs> Clearly, our son knows how to play pokers. I just thought, man, you're, you're playing it all wrong. You're supposed to play it conservative. You're not supposed to go all in like that so soon. And as we look at sort of the why and the who behind why it is and how it is that we serve around here, I think that's actually a very important point for us to get from that little story. Because the truth is about God is he has yet throughout all of eternity to play it safe or conservative. He has yet to sort of hold back and sort of play the odds. What we're going to look at over the next couple of moments is a God who has always already gone all 
in for you and for me. And we're going to ask ourselves a simple question. In light of what we're about to look at through the whole scope of the Bible about a God who continues to seemingly on a bad bet like us, a God who continues to go all in, we're going to ask ourselves the question, what do you do for a God who goes all in for you? What do you do for a God who goes all in for you? So I want you to grab a Bible. If you brought one with you, fantastic. Maybe it's on your phone. If not, we've got you covered. There's a blue Bible in the seat back. Would you grab that? I want to ask everyone to grab a Bible because we're going to be kind of looking at some important passages. We're going to look at three specifically. Grab a pen too, a couple words I want you to circle. Maybe you want to jot some notes down. But we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. And so in the blue Bible, you can turn to page one, like literally, after the table of contents. That's where we're starting. I want to give you a little context while you're turning to Genesis chapter 1, a little context as to what's going on as this verse is actually happening in real time. Let me give you context to what's going on behind Genesis 1. You know what the context is? It's nothing. There's nothing. Okay, so here is God in the perfect community of the Trinity, surrounded by angels declaring his praise and and giving him glory throughout all of sort of heaven. That is happening, but as far as you and me, there's nothing. And so God decides, we're going to go all in. We're going to go all in. And look at what God does at the start of our story in Genesis 1.27. Look at this. So it says, God created mankind or humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God decides to go all in and create us. Out of nothing comes not only something, but someone. You and me, us. God says, I'm going to go all in and create people in my image. And so our story of why and who starts with a God who says, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go all in. You have to try and imagine how that might have seemed or sounded to the angels at that time. Because please understand, all was well in heaven. Everything was fine. God had, again, the perfect community of the Trinity, angels declaring every song about God. And God says, despite the fact that all is well and all is well, I'm going all in. And I'm going to create people in my image. I mean, imagine what that board meeting must have been like in heaven. You've got all the major representatives of each of the departments gathered there around the big table. I imagine it's a big, long table. That's just me. And there's God sitting there, and he's kind of going through, okay, uh, how are we doing with uh, the white robes? Perfect. All right, good, good. I'm glad that kind of figured you'd say that. How are we doing? Uh, I know we were paving some streets with gold. Yep, perfectly on schedule. Yep, figured you'd say that. Good, good. How are we doing with the naked babies playing harps? Perfect. All right, great. Glad we got that one covered. Fantastic. Okay, any last items of business? Yeah, I wanted to let you all know that I'm going to create people, which you've never heard of or seen before, in my very own image, and I'm going to do it right now. Imagine the angels go, <laughs> what? What? We're all, we're good. Naked babies playing harps. We're good. What else, like, <laughs> do you want? And God goes, no, no, no. It, it, I, I, trust me. I've, I've talked with my two other partners, and, and we're, we all agree. We're going to create people in our image. We're going to go all in, actually, because we're going to lavish our love on them. 
And here's how we're going to go one step beyond that. We're not only going to create them in our image and focus our attention and affection and love on them, but we're going to give them something unique. We're going to give them free will. That means they're going to have a choice. That means that even though I'm going all in with them, they may not go all in with me. Can you imagine how that must have sounded to the angels in heaven? God, why all is well. Why would you go all in for them? And God says, this is, this is who I am. And so he demonstrates his love for us. God goes all in and creates us in his image. And God does give us, in fact, a choice whether or not we will respond or how specifically we will respond to him. In fact, you see it in the very beginning. If you were to just flip a page or so over, you can already see in the beginning of the story of creation, people do make a choice and they do respond to God. And while he provides them with his perfect presence there in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve choose something else. God, we see that you've gone all in, but we want that over there other than you. And so you see over the course of the Old Testament, it play out a God who relentlessly goes all in regardless of our response. You see God sort of set up a way of living for people, the Ten Commandments, and you see them bend and break every single one of them. God gives his people a promised land. He reminds them, I am the God who created this world, and so I will give you a space in this world where you can be reminded of my faithfulness. And as soon as the people occupy the land, they say, thanks God, we want a king. Because everyone else has a king, and if you really loved us, you'd give us a king. God says, okay. I'll I'll let you have kings if that's what you really want. And it ends up being a disaster for them. And the people of God are splintered and fractured and are being torn apart. And so God goes all in and sends prophets, his mouthpiece, to speak to the people, to remind them of who he is and all that he's done and his faithfulness and his goodness that has lasted actually throughout generations. And these prophets speak to the people of God and the people of God kill their prophets. We don't want to hear that. We've heard enough of that. And yet God continues to go all in and all in and all in again and again, regardless of people's response. He says, this is who I am. I go all in. And I'm inviting you to respond in relationship with me. Because what God knew is that there was a bigger story being written He could have very easily sort of just let things play out as they were in the Old Testament. This sort of cycle of sin and then coming back to God and then walking away from God and then coming back to God. But God said, no, there's a bigger story that I'm actually writing. In fact, I still have more to go all in with when it comes to you. And so I want you to take your Bible and I want you to jump ahead. If you have a blue Bible, turn to page 857. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4 because the story doesn't end just with God. What God says is, I want to demonstrate my love for you and show you my willingness to go all in for you regardless of your response to me. 1 John 4 verses 9 and 10. Look at what God does to continue in this story. It says this, 1 John 4, 9. This, this then is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might actually live through him. Now, John, the beloved disciple, says, now this, this is actually love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he already always initiated and loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. God says, watch the lengths to which I'm going to go all in. I am going to send my son Jesus literally into the world. I'm going to send him into the world. I'm going to go all in by going into this world. Think about that. This God who could have very easily stayed at a distance says, no, I'm going to come and give you my presence in physical form that you can actually know me. And so Jesus dives into our story and becomes one of us, literally, physically lives his life with us and ultimately gives his life for us so that we could have life through him. This is a God who goes all in, who holds Nothing back, regardless, not only of our response, but in the face of outright rejection. He loves, he loves, he loves. He goes all in for you, for me, throughout all of human history. This is who God is, and this is what he does. He goes all in. Now, just a question for you and me, who just so happen to not be God. When people hurt you, and reject you, and walk away from you. Maybe it's acquaintances, maybe it's lovers, maybe it's someone in your own family. When they respond in that way of rejection to you, what's your response typically to them? What do you do when someone does that to you? If you're anything like me, it's like, oh, 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 that's how it is. Okay, okay, because we're done. Okay, because I'm going to like put boundaries up and I'm not going to, you're not going to get in here and hurt me anymore. That's what we do. That's not who God is. God says, nope, I'm going to keep lavishing my love. I'm going to keep going all in for you because one day you will get it. One day you will see and that day will change the rest of your life. This is who God is. He goes all in. He doesn't keep himself at a safe distance. He enters into the story through Jesus. Again, that is so unexpected. No one saw this coming. Even though all the prophecies throughout the Old Testament pointed to this reality, no one saw this coming. A couple months ago, I was uh, in court, in traffic court, to fight three parking tickets that I'd gotten. And if you live in Chicago, fighting parking tickets, it's like a part-time job. And, uh, and you get to that point where you're like, okay, what's my time worth? Is it worth $175? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to push through. And so I'm in line with my little attache, and I'm going to bring justice to the city of Chicago. And I'm going to show them. And there's a certain point where it just sort of crosses a line for you, and it gets very personal. And that line is having to wait in a four-hour line. And so it's very personal. I'm kind of fired up. I'm ready to plead my case. I've got my photos. I've got every, my documents. I'm ready to go. And uh, I'm sitting there in the courtroom. It's very bizarre. It was me and just one other dude. I'm like, well, you better get ready for a show. It's about to go down. I'm waiting for the judge to walk in. Do you know that the entire time I was waiting for the judge to walk in, do you know that there was not one second where I sat there and wondered and thought, I wondered if Mayor Emanuel is going to come in and hear my case. Not for one second did I think that our mayor would walk in and go, Jared, I hear you're having some uh, parking problems. I'd like to help. I've heard your case has risen all the way to my office. And uh, I think you were far enough back from the stop sign. I want to talk about it. Not for one second did I think that our mayor would step into that courtroom on my 
behalf. My hunch is the last time that you were on a customer service hold and you were waiting for someone to pick up and actually talk to you and all the while your blood is boiling and you're losing your salvation and you're waiting for a human being to speak to you, my hunch is never once did you expect the CEO of the company to hop on and go, well, David, I hear you're having some problems with your cable subscription. How can I help? You don't ever think that's going to happen or expect that to happen. That's not how it works in our world. Authorities kept at a distance from us. Not so with God. God says, no, I'm going all in. By going into the story, into your story, I'm going to send my very best, my son, Jesus. And he's not only going to enter into the story, but he knows that he is going to go all the way to a cross where he is going to demonstrate my love for you. He's going to show you how willing I am to go all in. He is actually going to offer his life for the price and the weight and the debt of your sin. He's going to demonstrate my love for you by going to the cross. And I'm going to seal the deal and defeat sin and deal with death once and for all and make a way for life with me through the death and resurrection of my son. I'm going all in. I'm going all in. And if you ever wonder if God has gone all in for you, you need look no further than the cross. He says, I want to demonstrate. I want you to get my love for you. And what's so amazing is that all the while on the road to the cross, and even there hanging on that cross, and even after Jesus had been raised by God from the dead, he knew that this even wasn't the end of the story. And it would seem like this would be enough. Look what God has done for us. Look what God has done for us through Jesus. But Jesus actually prepared his followers, his disciples. He said, listen, I want you to get something. I'm going to be going to a cross. I'm not meant to stay here forever. And so I'm going, but there's one coming who's even greater than me. In fact, the day is coming where you will be able to do even greater things than you saw me to do because of the one who's coming to be with you. All the while, Jesus was preparing his followers, and this world for what would come next, for the next demonstration of a God who is going all in. And I want us to turn to a passage that demonstrates the power of what God has done by going all in for you. It's Colossians chapter 1, and in the Blue Bibles, it's page 821. Let me give you a little context to what we're about to look at here. Jesus had defeated sin once and for all. He had dealt with death by being raised by God from the dead. Now a way was made possible for us to have relationship with God. But again, this was not the end of the story. In just a few short weeks after Jesus had ascended into heaven and joined his Father, the Trinity still had one more card up their sleeve. They were going all in. And what happens is in Acts chapter 2 is this really powerful moment where God sends the Holy Spirit not just into the world, not just into our story, but God sends the Holy Spirit into the hearts and lives of his followers. And so now the Spirit goes into our story. And the church is born and people, for the very first time, have a relationship with God, not who's out there, but who's in here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 says this. This is one of my life verses and something I need to be reminded of on a daily basis. Paul's trying to capture the bigness of this God who's gone all in. And he says, this is the mystery. This is the mystery that's been kept hidden throughout all of history. 
Paul's building up to a case. This is the mystery that's been kept hidden. This is what people couldn't see that God was doing all along the way. For ages and generations, no one could see how much God was going to go all in. But it says it's now being disclosed. That means it's being made known, opened up to God's people, to them that God has chosen to make known to the Gentiles the glorious riches to everyone in the world gets to experience the riches of this mystery. And then Paul goes on to say it. This is the mystery. It's Christ in you. And it's the hope of glory. In fact, all of heaven hangs on this reality. The hope of glory is that God is not just out there, that Jesus didn't just come to be with us, but God now is in us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is some game-changing stuff that you and I need to wrestle with and reconcile. That God throughout all of human history and throughout all of your story has continued to go all in, all in, all in with you to the point that he would say, all the power that I have, I'm giving to my son, Jesus. And he's going to show you what my power looks like in this world. And then Jesus turns around and says, all the power that God gave me, I'm giving to the Holy Spirit. And he's going to show you what God's power looks like as it explodes through the church into this world. And then the Holy Spirit says, yeah, and I'm going in them so that they may have this power in God's presence in their daily life. I think so many folks, I don't know what your sort of religious background was growing up or if you even had any. I think for so many folks who've had any sort of interaction with religion or that sort of thing, the assumption tends to be across the line that God is out there and we're down here and there's not much in between. And so I got to pray a bunch of these prayers to try and get God's attention. I got to do a bunch of these things to try and keep God happy or not let him get mad at me. If I got to rub this thing or pull this, wear this necklace or put this thing in my house or whatever I have to do, go on these holidays, I'll go and do whatever I have to do just to make sure that the God who's out there doesn't get mad at me who's down here. And the reality of having a relationship with God is that he's not out there. But he's in here. And all the power and presence of God can actually be made known in your life. That this same God can live in you and guide and guard and direct your life, your choices, your relationships. That that is actually possible. And that is how God has been going all in throughout all of human history. In fact, the reality is this. This church... This church that I love, that we love so much, doesn't, it's not like we're not banking everything in this church on our like awesome marketing or great leadership. Those things are fantastic and have their place. We're banking everything on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in this church. It is the fire and fuel to this church. And if it's not in me and in this church, then we don't stand a chance. But if we believe that it is and then begin to live like it is, look out. Look out, because God says, look, I'm going all in with you so that you can experience all of who I am and all of who you are, and you can know me on a daily, on a very real basis. You can experience me, not out there, but in here. And so the question for every single one of us is simply this, what do you do? for a God who's gone all in for you? What do you do for a God who's gone all in for you? 
Not only, again, as so clearly painted throughout the bigger story of Scripture, not only throughout the entire story of human history, but in your story, if you were to be really honest and just stop for a second and put kind of all your fears and doubts on the shelf and just say, is it possible that God has actually been demonstrating his love to me throughout the whole of my life? Then what do you do for a God who's gone all in for you? I think a lot of people have a lot of different responses. Some people, like when they hear something like this, they kind of see that and they look at that and they go, that sounds great, but I've kind of been around the block and where's the catch? I, I get sound, it sounds, and it looks awesome on a painting. Great job on that, by the way, guys. Sounds great, but I know the reality that God is ultimately trying to get something from me or to get me to stop doing something I really like doing. And that's what's really going on here. Some people respond to God that way. Maybe you have in your life. Maybe that's where you're at right now. It sounds too good to be true. Some people, when they hear the, the reality of a God who's gone all in for them, respond to him, which is a good thing, but out of guilt and obligation, which is not a good thing. They hear all that God's done for them, and they feel bad about it. God, if God did all that for me, I guess I got to do stuff for him. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go to church, you know, every other once a month. I'll go, whatever, once a quarter. I'll go to church. What I have to do, I have to get, I have to get involved. All right, I'll do it. I guess I have to do it. What do you have to back, pack a backpack? Okay, I guess I got to do that to keep God happy. What do I have to do? I have to stand here and greet people? Hi. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> that sounds awesome. But so many people, when they consider the weight of this, they feel unworthy. And the reality is you are unworthy. That's the beauty of the story, is that God breathed his worth into you and says, you're not meant to respond to me out of guilt and obligation. That's religion. But this is who God is. He goes all in, all in. Some people, when they consider the weight of what God has done by going all in for them, respond and say, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to go on. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to do whatever I got to do. But the reality is, at the end of the day, that there are still a couple cards you're holding close to your chest. Yeah, God, I get it. Man, that's amazing. I can't believe you would do that for me. So yeah, I'll give you some of my time, and I'll give you, God, some of my resources, and I'll give you, God, some of the direction of my life. But when it comes to my career, God, you know I've worked really hard for this, and I'm afraid if I lay this card down, you're going to mess it all up. Or God, this relationship really, really, really matters to me, and somehow, for some reason, I think that if I trust you with it, you're going to blow it up. And so i got to hold it real close to my chest because ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't know if I fully trust you, God, so I'll play sort of the easy cards, but I'm going to hold these other ones close to my heart. But then there are some people. Then there are some people who, when they consider and weigh the reality of what God has done, not just for everyone out there throughout all of human history, but for them, like for you. When they consider the, the depth and the breadth 
and the lengths to which God has gone to demonstrate his love, to go all in for them. And when they look at their own life and go, God, I am like the worst bet you could ever make in the world, and yet you've gone all in for me, there are some people who are overwhelmed with gratitude and say, God, if you've gone all in for me, how can I respond with anything less to you? How can I respond with anything less to you? God, you've gone all in with me, then I want to go all in with you, God. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means for my, my time, God, whatever that means for my resources, God, whatever that means for my relationships and the trajectory of my life, God, if it's true that you have demonstrated your love for me by literally pouring yourself into me, then God, I want to pour it all out for you. I'm going to offer you everything I got if you want it. And it seems like you do. And so, God, you got all of me. I'm going all in. What would it look like for you to have that kind of heart? Overwhelmed by gratitude. Overcome by God's goodness and greatness in your life. And say, I want to go all in. All in. God, if there's anything you want to do in me, do it. If there's anything you want to do with me, do it. God, if there's anything you would ever do through me, do it. I'm yours because you've gone all in for me. And so next week, we're going to get incredibly practical about how we do that. One of the ways that we can do that. In fact, the message I'm teaching next week, I heard for the very first time 20 years ago, very first time, I'd grown up in the church, I'd never heard anyone teach what I'm going to teach next week. And when I heard it for the first time, literally, it changed my perspective on who God is and the lengths to which he's gone all in and what he might possibly do in and with and through me when I go all in for him. I can't wait for us to get to next week, and I hope you come back for that. But until then, I thought our homework might be best this week if we just sat with that question. What do you do for a God who's gone all in for you? What do you do? How can you begin to start your response to God out of gratitude for what he's already, always done by going all in for you? If they were to take a camera crew and film the, your life over the course of this week, like a bad reality TV show. And they were to film your decisions, and they were to film your interactions, and they were to film your relationships, and they were to film all of that. And they would kind of lay it all out through the lens of, through the filter of your response to God. And so if they looked and dissected at everything you did and said, okay, how is this a response to God? What does this say about what this person believes to be true about God based on the decisions and the choices and the interactions and relationships they have? What do you think they would come to at the end of the week about your life? What do you want to be said? of your life as a response to this God. Again, next week we're going to get real practical, but for now we're going to sit with that question. God, how do I go all in for you in light of how you've gone all in for me? So we're going to move into a time of uh, response, an opportunity to do just that right now, to sit in the reality of who this God is, and then to respond to him with words and through our gifts and giving to God. 
to say, God, this is a small way, but a real way, an important way that I can respond, that I can go all in right now in this moment. And so I'm going to encourage you as we sing in the next few minutes, and we're going to receive our offering. And we do that regularly as a part of our worship because that's what it is. It's a response to God. It's looking at and considering all that God has done and being overwhelmed with his generosity to the point of gratitude and saying, God, I, I, how, what can I give to you? God, how can I respond to what you're doing? And so that's why we give. And so we're going to do that. And my hope and heart is that you would do that out of a response, not out of guilt or obligation or holding any cards close to your heart. But say, God, I want to give to you joyfully and gratefully. And then as you sing, to let your heart resonate with the reality of a God who's held nothing back and never once played it safe or conservative, but went all in for you. So let me pray for us now. God, we thank you for the reality of who you are, this mystery that was hidden throughout all of history that you made known through your son Jesus coming into this world through your Holy Spirit coming into our lives. And now, God, through us, that you, the God of the universe, would demonstrate your love to us to go to such great lengths, to go all in for us. God, what can we say? What can we do? How could we possibly respond out of gratitude to you? And so I ask, God, that you would now help us. Give us the courage. Give us the words. Give us the intentions that move to action. This moment that leads to movement in our life to say, God, we want to this week, today, this moment, go all in with you. And so, God, receive these gifts and receive these songs and hear our heart, God, and expand our vision of you and of us, we pray in your name. Amen.